right, Mark chapter 13, and uh, if anyone else comes in, then we'll just let them come in and we'll mock them as they come in. Mark 13, if you will, we're back here into this passage, and uh, we've uh, spent a lot of time last time in verse 14. Uh, we'll just read that, but when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, and let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And last time we spent quite a bit of time looking at the timing of verse 14. And uh, again, in the context here, uh, we're gonna, we actually got down to verse 19, so that's where we're going to kind of just pick up here in verse 19. But in getting to it here, the Lord is preparing the, the apostles, uh, if you look there at verse 1, and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples, and then verse 4, uh, as he sat, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, in the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asking privately. So the believing, they come, the believing remnant, they come, the 12, they're asking the questions, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall the sign and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And again, the question there, Mark is focusing in on what the servants will be doing. He's not so much focused in on the signs. That's why verse 14, but when ye shall see. So when you see, you're going to be watching for when you see, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, when you see that happening when you see what's happening here now now here's the signal here's the here's the the all right it's time to pay attention and, and again last time we we got we went through daniel um we uh daniel 9 it starts here in, in uh nehemiah chapter 2 um nehemiah 2 you got man that's you got seven years, and then you got 62 years, so you, you got 69 weeks, sorry, not years, but weeks. Then after that, you have the cutting off of the Messiah. Then after that, you're going to have the destruction of the city and wars and desolations and everything. And then you're going to have that 70th week start. And that's going to have 1,260 days and 1,260 days. Then we'll have the second coming. And then we'll have the establishment of the, uh, the kingdom. Obviously, again, we're not in this at all. This is strictly Israel's period. Um, actually, where we're going to fit, if you will, will be kind of right in here. We kind of we, we, we gap the gap. <laughs> We kind of interrupt the, the flow. But until then, he says, listen, when you see, verse 14, the desolation of the abomination. And we again, we looked at last time, in that midst of the week, there's that 30-day period of time. And that is triggered by this abomination of the desolation. And, and that, again, has to do with the setting up of... The, uh, of the idol, of the image of the Antichrist in the temple. And that, by the way, you notice 
There's no beginning of the 70th week, and actually there's no beginning of the 70th week in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. They don't, because the focus isn't the beginning. The beginning of it is the covenant signing with the Antichrist. The, the, the focus point really now is this, this midst of the week. Daniel calls it the midst of the week, because he knows if you say middle, what are they going to do? 12, 1,259 days and 59 seconds, you know, just really 59 hours and 59 seconds. It just really, they get, they sold that box of candy from Forrest Gump for a couple million dollars, and it had sand in it. You know, life is like a box of chocolates, you know, but it had sand in it to keep it level as it was sitting in his lap. But you know what he says, stupid is what stupid does. That's what people do with this stuff. They get, well, it's got to be right on, you know, no. That's why the book calls it the midst of the week. The signing, the beginning of the 70th week comes with the signing of the, of the covenant with the Antichrist. It's not listed here because the little flock, the believing remnant, regardless of the circumstances, Regardless of where we're at here on the timeline, they, are, they have ministry to do. In verse 9, verse 10, I'm sorry, 13.10, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. So they're going to be out regardless of where they're at on the timeline here. They're going to be out doing, so nothing has changed. The, the Acts period back here, the little flock, uh, this would be the city being destroyed and so forth. It doesn't matter where we're at. Nothing is changing for them ministry-wise until we get to the when, verse 14, ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. What changes their ministry is what comes in the midst of the week where the abomination of desolation is set up. And again, we looked last time, we went over there and we saw the issue of abomination of the desolation in Scripture is, is associated with an idol being set up. The idolatrous, the, the idol worship, the image of the Antichrist is set up in the temple and then he makes those claims of being God. Second Thessalonians 2, Paul talks about it. So up until that point, if you look there at verse 14, standing where it ought not, <laughs> Israel is in absolute, complete, total apostasy. They are, they are in complete agreement with this idol being set up in the temple. They're allowing the idolatry the idol Baal worship, the vain religious system, all of that, they're allowing it to take over. They're not stopping it. And when they see this, now their ministry changes, verse 14. There's actually three reactions here that we're going to be looking at. One is in verse 14, then let them that be in Judea flee to the, to the mountains. So the first reaction is a flee, is a run, okay? And then he says there, verse, again, we, we saw that last time. Revelation 12, they flee into the wilderness. Hosea 2, Micah 7, 
they're going to be taken care of. And we went back and we looked at how in the days of their, uh, of their youth, as in the Valley of Achor, as in the, you know, and all of that. We looked at all of that last time. But prior to this time period, what are they doing? They're publishing, they're working, they've got an outreach ministry going, and they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and we've seen all of that. that now it's time to flee. Verse 15, and let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house, and let him, no, nothing material, no, no material needs. You know, when they have the forest, the forest fires, and they give that, it, get ready, get set, go, you know, get ready. Why? Get all your papers together, get your your valuables, load up the car, get ready. And then when they say, go, go, they don't even get time to do a go bag. They're not to do a go bag. They're to go. That's, and by the way, I'll just remind you, them let, then let them that be in Judea. Doesn't say America. Doesn't say Russia. Doesn't say Turkey. It says where? Judea, Jerusalem, in that Palestinian land, the Mesopotamia, the the land promised to Abraham. And now you, it's the believers. Let them that read, let him that under, readeth understand. They're going to run, and, and this is serious. Verse sixteen, and let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. I, I think about that. Working in the field, you take your shirt off, and you're working. You're hot and sweaty, and you're and all of a sudden this happens, you're not even to pick up the, your shirt. You're just to go. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, Matthew says, on the, or on the Sabbath. Serious times here. Uh, there's an urgency. They're to run. They're not to, not to lallygag, not to load up the suburban, not to do this. They're to get out of town. They are, they're, it's dangerous for them now. And again, that's happening here in this, in this midst of the week time. The first thing, their first reaction is to flee. Now verse 19, here's the second reaction. For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Matthew calls it great tribulation. So here we are, they're going to flee. The second reaction issue here now is going to be this reaction of, uh, of affliction, okay? There's going to be an affliction. Again, Matthew calls it great tribulation as is never seen, never seen. And that's tremendously important, such as never was. Uh, I just lost it. Where'd it go? There it is. Such shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation. That is very telling 
about the last half of the week here, the last three and a half years, the last 1260 days, from when Jesus, by the way, you see that thing there about from the beginning of the creation, which God created under this time? The one doing the speaking here is Jesus Christ. So guess what? Jesus Christ is a creationist. He, why? He's the creator. And so that ends all of that kind of conversation. Come over to 2 Thessalonians 2 and watch Paul talk about this issue. So there's affliction, there's great tribulation, and then we'll see here in a second the, the third issue. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, and this is the day we're talking about here, shall not come except there come a falling away first. That's what 1314 is in Mark. Ought not to be. What's going on in that temple? They've allowed the lie program, they've allowed that vain religious system to take up, to take over. That's what they've that's the falling away. Then he says, we've got the man of sin, that's the first half of the week, and then the son of perdition. That's the two titles of the career of the Antichrist during the seven years. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And that's that's the abomination of desolations in the holy place. Okay, that's where we're at. Here he is as the son of perdition. He's been revealed. There he is. Now watch Paul. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For he, no, verse 6, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be Now, now you know, right now, dispensation of grace, the body of Christ today. So verse 5, 6, and 7, he's talking to you and I. Verse 3 and 4, he's describing this event. Verse 8, 9, 10, he's going to go back to describing this event. But he says, look, Thessalonians, you guys know who's holding him back. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Something right now is in place that's holding back the revelation of the man of sin. That's the dispensation of grace. Okay? And as long as God extends another day of grace, extends the dispensation of grace, prophecy is held back. The, the concluding matter is held back. And we're going to see some verses in a minute that demonstrate that. Nothing here is is going until the dispensation of grace is over and out of the way. And then verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed. So he who holds, and by the way, we understand what the, the, the use of the word letteth will let. Okay, it's a hindrance. That, that thing, in, in the best illustration is tennis. It's not a net service, it's a let service. They don't say net, they say let. What does it do? 
the ball hits the top and it trickles into the court, the, the front court correctly. But what stopped the net? It's not a net service, it's a let. It's a one of, it's funny, it's not funny. It's interesting when you look the word let up in the dictionary, there's almost 20 different uses of it. It's it's crazy. Well, what's holding this all back? The dispensation of grace is. As long as God's doing that, then guess what? He's holding, the dispensation of grace is holding back the wicked one from being revealed. So right now, there's a restrainer in the way, okay, if you will. Now, come back to Mark 13, because look at what Mark 13, 19 says. Right now, the dispensation of grace is restraining the revelation of the wicked one. When the dispensation of grace is removed, 1319 is going to happen. For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. You know what's going to happen? When we're taken up out of the way, the Antichrist is removed, he goes through the process, they're going to flee, the, the, the abomination, all, this is on roll. There's nothing there to restrain the lie program. The restraint has been the, the restraints have been removed. Now God is going to let Satan have his way. And it's the first time where God has simply let Satan go. He's never let Satan go before. You remember Job? The Lord looks at Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? He goes, yeah, but you put a hedge about him. I can't touch him. So, again, Job, the picture of Israel, what's around Israel? A hedge. So what did God do? God took the hedge away, said you can do anything to him you want, but you can't kill him. Okay? That's the only, t- I mean, but he, he still says you can't kill him. You know what they're going to be able to do in the, in the trib, the great tribulation? They're going to be able to kill. But the point is, if, 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 if there's, it's an unparalleled time of affliction as never seen before. Why? Because God has pulled back. He's pulled off all the restraints. He's let them go. Verse 20, by the way. And except the Lord had shortened those days... No flesh should be saved. I mean, he's letting Satan go. There's Nothing is restraining the adversary. He can do his worst now. He can go out. He, he's, he's, you know, who let the dogs out? He's let them loose. Why? Because what does the Lord, what is God's program using this Antichrist doing? Purging out the rebel. Take, putting... Again, Daniel 9, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and the whole. Why? To finish the transgression. He's, he's accomplishing something, so he's letting it loose. Okay? Now, by the way, verse 21, and then, so here's the third reaction. If any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, he, he, he is there, and believe him not, for false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders seduce, to seduce, 
if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed. Behold, I have foretold you all things. So the third issue is this issue of worldwide deception. Okay? So we've looked at the flea. We're looking at the affliction, the great tribulation. And in two weeks we'll get number three. Okay? That's the goal here. All right? But notice, again, in, in looking at 19 and 20, as he's talking about the culmination of the satanic program, policy of evil, the lie program, and Israel's part in it, Israel is not the victim here. They have allowed the idol to be set up in the temple. It ought not be there, but they've allowed it. And then in verse 20, except that he had shortened those days, no flesh. If Satan was left to carry out his will, his way, all the way to the end, he would destroy, all of humanity would be destroyed, which is his goal, okay? But for the elect's sake, what did he do? He shortens the days. The thing here is, is what, is what is Satan after? He's after destroying God's purpose in humanity. Because without humanity, then there's no, the plan of man, back, now back to Genesis 1, isn't going to happen. So what does he do? He shortens the days. By the way, people will use this verse in verse 20, where he shortened the days. They'll say it's no longer a 24-hour period of time, now it's just 12 hours. No, he shortened them to what? 1,260. That's what he shortened them to. He, does, he takes the restraint off of Satan to go and to do, but he just says you're, you're doing it in this time. Remember in Revelation, look, look over at Revelation 12. And it's, it's amazing to me, I, I don't know why I think this, Revelation 12. <laughs> it's amazing to me, how man goofs this up when the verses are really clear. Look at Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath. Now watch. Because he knoweth that he hath forever and ever and ever. But a what? But a short time. What does he know? He's not sitting there going, okay, I got to, he goes, I, he knows he only has three and a half years. He only has 1,260 days. He knows that. Now you got, again, dumb thump human, humans, preachers, oh, no, we're going to have this and take away that and add this. You know, no, it's a short time. What's he ta He's talking about the number of days that Satan is allowed to operate unrestrained. So he's shortened the days. And that's why, if you go back to Daniel 9, back here where, where Mark and the, and the Lord is referring to, again, Daniel 9 and verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, number one, to finish the transgression. That's what Daniel's talking about. Israel, Jerusalem. 
And again, if Satan was allowed to run to its natural conclusion, the result would be the total destruction of God's purpose in humanity, in man. And that's, again, that's what the adversary wants to do anyway, but he shortened the days. And again, the reason he did it, Mark 13, is for the elect's sake. His plan with the little flock, with the believing remnant, that's the elect here. He doesn't abandon their, that plan. He just says, okay, we're going to do this. So he's going to allow Satan, he's going to let Satan have his way, but it isn't going to go all the way out to a conclusion because if that happened, then no flesh, Mark 13 there, he, he, no flesh would be saved. Verse 22, even the elect would be seduced away. So he's going to shorten them, okay? Now, 13, Mark 13, verse 19, For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. God's going to settle the issue here with the adversary, with the satanic policy. He's going to bring it to a conclusion. And what's important to catch here is throughout Scripture, where sin and rebellion are, it goes through a cycle. And then when the cycle comes to a conclusion, God judges it. And then it'll start again. And there's a cycle that sin, rebellion, operates on and works on. Look over at James chapter 1. And, and it's important to understand that when he says from creation that it never has been, he's not saying that sins just run rampant. He's saying, no, there's always been a restrainer involved with sin. In this moment, the back half of this, there's no restraining it. He's letting it flow. Shorten the days, otherwise there'd be nobody left, but he's going to be flowing. Now, just notice James 1, just real quick here. It's just an interesting thing here about sin. James 1.1, 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the body of Christ, no, to the who? To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So we know who he's talking to, right? Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It's very fascinating here that as James, and this is not the apostle because the apostle has been killed, this is the Lord's half-brother, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, Acts 15 and so forth. But James here, he says, listen guys, we're going to go through some tribulation. We're going to go through some trouble. And that we have to have the proper mindset to understand that, it, that that trouble is designed to teach us something. It's designed to Work, it's worketh what? Patience. And funny how Paul says that. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, experience. Oh, it's, 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 that's what it is. That's how we're to look at it. So here is James in the, in the Acts period, which is right in here. And what's he doing? He's getting them ready for this. 
It's just a continuation. See. Now, drop down to verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted. And, and again, tempted. Scripture defines it as testing, trying. Okay? That's what affliction is all about. It's a trying. I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. Again, that, that's why he, he's not, you can't always say that the tempting is evil. You remember Abraham when he was tried with the issues with Isaac, Genesis 22? He tempted. So there's something that's happening here. Okay? What's God gonna what's the affliction all about? Purging out that unbeliever. Now watch verse 14. But every man is tempted. He's gonna purge out the unbeliever when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now what you have there is the cycle of of sin. Sin isn't the thinking of it. Notice the progression here. Note verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is what? Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When you that's why I, I I'll make a comment every now and then you got to be careful what you love. Because it's going to do what? It's going to entice you. It'll draw you away. By the way, that's not sin yet. See, okay? Verse 15. By the way, this is called the doctrine of peccability, if you need a big word. How sin is developed here. Then when lust hath what? Conceived. All right? Sin starts right here because now we have, you have that internal debate. Now you have a choice. Do I do it or do I not do it? I have a decision to make. See, it's not, it's not sin, sin isn't the desire. I'm getting somewhere with this. So just, okay, it's when you debate it, when you're, now you're going to make the decision. That's an attitude of the heart. By the way, it's not the action. I decided to do this over here. It bringeth forth, notice the verse, then when lust hath conceived, we have the debate, we have a decision, it bringeth forth what? Sin. You see, I've thought about it, the lust, here it is, bam, now, verse 15, now what? When it is finished. Now there's the activity, bringeth forth death. God deals, when it talks about sin, where does it, it starts over here, and there's a progression with it. It's not immediately. It starts, and then there's a progression. His, you, you, you got it, you're in your lust, you're enticed by it, you've, You've, cons you, you've been drawn away of his own and enticed. You've had that internal debate of self-justification. I need it. I deserve it. 
I'm such a nice guy. Okay. Then he says what? The point here is the progress. Now come back to Genesis 15. And what that has to do with what we're talking about is this right here. Because in Scripture, sin has a, pro a process. So Genesis 15, God's talking to Abraham, making the covenant with Abraham. Verse 13, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So we're obviously we're talking about Egypt. Verse 15, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, so Exodus 6, they shall come hither again. All right? Okay? They're going to come back. He, he gave Abraham the land. They're going to come back to the land, Abraham. But notice the end of the verse. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Isn't that interesting? He says, listen, the sin, the iniquity of the Amorites, and by the way, iniquity is a very specific thing, and it's associated with the satanic policy of evil. Okay, first time you see iniquity show up in a, very, in a, in a bad light is Isaiah 14, which drags you back to Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, with the adversary where iniquity was found in his heart. So iniquity is very specific. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. This, this stuff's been working since day one. Now it's in a mystery form. What's God doing today, by the way? Mystery. Mystery Babylon, the great. So it's got a secretive in that, not that it's hidden where nobody can see it, but it's join me and I'll give you the decoder code and I'll let you in. But notice the Amorites is not yet full. So Abraham, you're going to die, you're going to go in the old age, four generations, it's going to take four generations for the Amorites to be ripe for the picking. By the way, ites in your Bible are bad people. They're occupying the land. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It is... Time isn't there yet for them to be destroyed. There's still a process to go through here. That's, that's why we looked at James 1. There's a process to sin. There's a process here in the, of this issue. They're not ripe for judgment in Genesis 15. Now, come over to Daniel 8. They will be one day, Daniel 8. And when that happens, then guess what's going to happen? <laughs> They're going to be ripe for the picking. Look at Daniel 8. We were here last time. When judgment comes, there's no doubt about <laughs> that all are guilty. Daniel 8, verse 13, Then I heard one saint speak, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden under? Judgment. How long is this? How long until the judgment comes? And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And again, we put that up here on the thing there. 
But notice, judgment doesn't come here. It comes 2,300 days later. See? They're not, it's not ripe. It's not time. The, their iniquity's not full yet. Now, drop down to verse 23. <clears throat> and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full. Isn't that interesting? A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentence shall stand up. And again, he's talking about this time period back here. But notice that issue of when the transgression, the transgressors come to the full. What? Their timing is there. It's time now for the judgment. Look over at chapter 9 of Daniel. Chapter 9, verse 24, where we were at just a minute. When the, when the affliction... When, when, that, when, when they are full, when the fullness of that sinful activity has come to, then what? Judgment's going to fall. Chapter 9, verse 24, again, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to what? To finish the transgression. And that's where we're at. It's to bring Israel's transgression to an end. Israel's transgression is real simple. They rejected the, the word of God. It's that simple. That's what nails them. That's what gets them in trouble. Now come over to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. So when he says here, hey, there's going to be great affliction. Why? Because it's time for that unadulterated, unmixture to flow. Why? So we can get here to the judgment time. The, the, the saints underneath the altar. How long, Lord? How long? Well, 2,300 days, man. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for all of that to come to its crescendo, its ultimate. Matthew 23 is the, the great woe chapter. Verse 31, he's talking again, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Verse 31, Wherefore ye be witness unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill, now watch, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Fill it up. You're just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and b Fill it up. Verse 33, Ye serpents, ye generations of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Well, they won't. They're filling up that measure of rebellion. Started with their fathers and they just keep going. They're that, that rebelling against the word of God. And he says, you're doing it. And you know what's going to happen? Judgment's coming. And you guys are going to fill that up and you're going to do it quickly, 1260 days. And we're going to be done with it. Now, come over to Acts 7. Because here's where Stephen is talking about. Acts 7. This is why Stephen says what Stephen says here. Same people of Matthew 23, by the way. Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites. Verse 51. 
Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Well, look at that. Look at what they... Your fathers killed the prophets, and you guys are doing the same thing. You killed John the Baptist. You killed uh, the apostle James. You let Herod kill James. You let Herod kill the Lord. You, you're just, and now you're going to kill me. The representative of the Holy Spirit. They just keep filling up their sin. And again, the natural consequence, verse 55 it's time for what? For judgment. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. That's the first thing he saw. The armies of heaven are ready to come back to wage war and wrath and pour out the vengeance. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And again, the standing there, key, Acts chapter 2, Peter says, My Lord said to him, my, your Lord, sit until I make your enemies your footstools. Quoting Psalms 110, which, by the way, is enemies. In Acts 2, it's foes. Foes are active enemies. An enemy can be an enemy now and not and be on hiatus over here, but a foe is an active enemy. And he goes, you're going to sit there until it's time to do what? Stand. Isaiah 2, Isaiah 3, he stands to come back and do what? Pour out judge, to judge his people. So he's moving from sitting to standing. Why? Because it's time for judgment. It's time for things. Their sin is full. It's time. They're ripe for the judgment. Come on over to 1 Thessalonians 2. That's why Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. They, again, they killed the prophets. They killed the apostles. They allowed James to be killed. They killed Stephen. They killed the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only thing keeping back God's wrath is the apostle Paul. And guess what they're going to do to him? Go after him too. 1 Thessalonians 2.14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in, I'm sorry, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. How did they become followers of the churches of God, which are in Judea? That are, how? Through suffering. That's what Paul's not saying. You guys are believing Peter's gospel. I heard a guy say that. I'm like, no. The context is what? You're suffering. The hands of your own countrymen. Just as they did, just as that believing remnant suffered on, at the hands of Saul of Tarsus and those guys, the leadership, they're, now they're suffering it too. Verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God, and are contrary to all men. <laughs> they kill, and they're, they're chasing Paul down now. In the distance, they're, they're rejecting him. They're not believing. Now watch verse 16. 
forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. That's a tremendous verse there. Especially when you take and you go back into Romans 9, 10, and 11. And you see where he takes Israel and he makes them a vessel of dishonor now. Why? Their sin is full. They should have had wrath poured out on them. They, Stephen sees the Lord standing. The, fill it to the rim with brim or to the brim or whatever, you know. It's overflowing. So what you have, the issue here is, come back to Mark 13, is bringing sin to its completion. Whether it's the satanic policy of evil working its way to a, to a complete takeover or, or and, and or Israel's part in it, that's what we're reading about in Mark 13, 19. Hey, for in those days shall affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created, neither shall be. It's never, you think it was bad back then? This is that bad times a thousand. This has never been witnessed by man. You think it's bad now and you know you look around the world and you go, oh my goodness, it's going to be 100,000 times worse. Why? Because Satan is going to, again, he's going to be let loose. Nothing restraining him. Why? To bring sin to its completion. So that when God's second coming comes back, he just, whoosh, they're ripe for the plucking. So verse 20. That's what's going on here. By the way, that's why we went back to James 1. Sin's got a progress, a process. This isn't just happening overnight. It's boom, 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 boom. It's been going on since Genesis 1, 2. It boom, 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 boom. And it's building. And all through history and scripture, you see the Lord deal with it. Noah and the ark it was a blow to sin. But yet Noah was still there, wasn't he? Man was sinful man was still there, wasn't he? And thus some problems had started right back up on the other side. He comes in, Tower of Babel, confounds the language, yet sinful man's still there. We come in now with David and Solomon. Just you take the history all through it. Remember the judges? Israel would do well until the judge dies, and then they went right back under Gentile captivity, and then they started crying, and then God raised another judge, and just that cycle of sin, and it just permeates all through here. And you know what, Mark, you know what the Lord's telling them? You guys think it was bad back then? It, you, that is nothing compared to what's coming. So verse 20 and except that the Lord had shortened these days, and he does. He shortens them to 1,260. It doesn't run to a natural conclusion. And again, if it did, no flesh should be saved. So he's going to let it run until his second coming. And when that happens, then it stops. Now watch the end of, that, the, end of the verse. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Now, this verse gets a lot, of, a lot of play in the camp of Calvin, Calvinism. However, 
what the Calvinists don't like this verse because it does what your scripture always does, and that is it defines for you a word. But for the elect's sake, comma, whom he hath chosen, comma, he hath shortened the days. So the elect is defined for us as who? The chosen. Okay? So when, Calvin, when the Calvinists get into all this chosen before the world began, predestinated, and this and that, you just, they don't, they don't like, first of all, they don't like a King James Bible, and they don't like a dispensationalist, a rightly divider. They don't like you. So you best just let them go on their way. Again, when you think about how Scripture defines the words, like the word charity, oh, it should be love. No, not in Scripture. By the way, look, look over there, First Corinthians 13. It's very fascinating, the little nuances that, and I'll be honest with you, this is a pet peeve of mine because I've had it thrown in my face so many times that we are not a chair. Our assembly here is not very charitable. And it comes from people who don't understand what charity is in the Scripture. Okay? Because they think about charity like we do in the world. But look at verse 3, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor... Now, that's what we think charity is out in society, feeding the poor, okay? And though I give my body to be burned and have, notice that, not charity. So giving, all, giving to the poor, going to goodwill and doing that and tell, is not charity. So what Paul does there, by the way, is he defines for you that charity is something deeper in Scripture than just loving one another. Now, do, are we to love one another? Yes. Galatians 5, clear. By love, serve one another. He's not saying don't help and take care of people. He's saying, and he's saying charity is the end of the commandment. you got a formula there. You've got sound doctrine. And at the end, what do you, you got something deeper. So charity isn't giving to the poor. In Scripture, it has a special meaning in Scripture. In Colossians, he says charity the bond of perfectness, perfectness, maturity. So when you think about, let the book define the word for you, I guess is what I'm after. The word elect, it's defined in Scripture as those that are chosen. We're chosen. <laughs> if you look there, at Acts at Mark 13, but for the elect's sake, obviously we are talking about who, the little flock. He's talking to the disciples. All right. There are four specific elections in Scripture. Uh, come over to First Timothy. Obviously, Mark 13, you have the little flock. First Timothy 5. First Timothy 5. And verse 21. 1 Timothy 5, again, people, if you think about this, verse 21, 1 Timothy 5, 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect who? The chosen angels. By the way, what are angels in Scripture? 
They're servants. They're ministers. So election has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with what? Service. Come on, come back over on your way to Ephesians chapter 1 and get Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians 1, Colossians 3. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Obviously, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in who? In Christ. According as he hath chosen us, where? In him. How do I get in him? I get in him by the gospel, don't I? Believing the gospel. Because I believe the gospel, where am I? I'm in him, therefore I am what? The elect, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and so on. See that? He calls us the elect of God. Why? Because I've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. See, oh, back back there, he knew who was going to believe and who wasn't. He was sending this group to heaven and that group to hell. No, he wasn't. Salvation is made unto all, but it's only upon them that believe. You believe, what are you? You're part of the elect. Election is always service. If you think election, come back with me to Isaiah 42. If you think election has to do with justification, salvation, then you've got a real big problem with Isaiah 42, verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Jesus Christ is called here by the Father. He's called mine elect. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So if you say election has to do with salvation and that and that alone justification unto eternal life then you just made christ a sinner so you got a big issue jesus christ is the only individual born who had his eternal destiny prefixed by the father every other human their predestination hasn't been fixed why because they can go to heaven or they can go to hell you got a choice so election, again, it's not unto salvation. It's being identified in him. Come over to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. And if you look there at verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. I have called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee though thou hast not known me. Again, Israel, mine elect. That's where we are in Mark 13. Now look at verse 25. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be what? Justified. And shall glory. So where does Israel, where do you have to be? In the Lord. If you're in the Lord, what are you called? The elect. So the issue in election, is, is it's, it's, it's who you are in Christ. If you're Israel, it's been in Christ. If it's today in the body of Christ, it's being in Christ. So when you come back to Mark 13, verse 20, don't run from this verse. It helps you, actually, 
to be able to identify who the elect are. Who are they? They're the chosen ones. How are they chosen? They're in him. Now, not all of Israel is elect because we have that apostate element. Woe unto you, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites, your vipers and all that stuff. But then you have that little flock, that believing remnant. Okay? And again, he's got a group of people that he has, that he calls mine for a purpose of service. He's got an agency, Israel, body, and what are we? They're serving. So if you just remember, I know a lot of people trip up on verse 20. Election, the issue of election, whom he hath chosen. Remember the Lord says to them, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. They hear me. Well, who's going to He just went out to the whole nation. I came into my own, and my own received me not. But as many as received him, John 1, 11 and 12. To them gave he the power. Why? There's the elect. You and I were chosen in him. Before the foundation of the world, he says, I'm going to have this agency, and how this agency is going to serve me is in this manner, and how they're going to get in is this way. They're mine. He has an elective purpose. He has a plan. It's not just willy-nilly. But how do you get into it is in Christ. God always has an agency of people that he chose to serve him. He's always had that. That's what the elect is, okay? All right, so we got two reactions. We'll get the third one maybe next time. We'll see. Okay, that worldwide deception issue because it's coming, and that's what's going to be there catch where we're at midst of the week what triggers it is that idol getting set up the abomination of desolation set up and that that pivotal moment the little flocks ministry is now one of fleeing instead of proclaiming and publishing they're running for their lives okay the lord is getting them ready he we're we're two days 14 1 after two days was the feast of the Passover of unleavened bread, and he dies. Three days later, he's resurrected. So think about that. He's talking to them, and in five days, he hadn't had anything to him, say to him. Three of them, he's been dead. Two of them here, he, they're doing other things, and he's getting them ready. I'm going here, guys, and this is coming, and you got to be ready. Okay. All right, Jonah Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions here. And we thank you for who we are in your son, for everything that you've given to us there. In your name we pray, amen.